And we can turn it around. And one of uh, my favorite people at the forefront of this effort to turn around our green economy, uh, make our economy greener, I should say, turn around our environmental challenges into opportunities, crisis into opportunities, is a man by the name of Joe Lauer. And I had uh, the fortune of meeting him at a conference called Sustainable Brands in Monterey a couple of uh, years ago. And he has since gone on to uh, do something with Greenopolis. It's a great website. You should check it out at www.greenopolis.com. He is the Senior Manager of Community Engagement and Development, and he's kind enough to join us to talk about what's up at Greenopolis. And first of all, happy Sukkot, Joe. Thank you, Betsy. Uh, happy Sukkot back back to you. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting that we're having this little conversation on the uh, the first of the evening before Sukkot uh, uh, because it that particular holiday, which I blogged about, it's up on the website today, uh, is a, goes back to an old agricultural festival, and it really has a lot of uh, green themes. And Happy New Year as well, since this is a very important time on the Jewish calendar. For all our Jewish listeners, you know what I'm talking about. And for those who are not Jewish, well, you may have heard about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We just went through that 10-day period. And right on the heels of that, before we can uh, get back to the gym and get the diet started, here comes Sukkot. Although this one is not so much about eating um, brisket and chicken soup and lots of uh, schmaltz, but more about uh, celebrating uh, the fruits of the earth. That's that's right. The harvest, which is the perfect time of year now, uh, up here in New England, we decorate our sukkah with, uh, which is the little booth that we uh, take our meals in, and even on mild nights, uh, sleep in. Um, we we uh, have a lot of squash and tomatoes, and uh, and uh, the second round of, uh, of 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 greens like kale and chard, and uh, um, corn. So uh, we we have a lot of those kinds of foods. Fruit and vegetables, uh, all that healthy green stuff. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so Joe, um, when we first met about uh, two years ago, you were just launching Greenopolis. Tell us, um, for those who don't know, what it is and how it has grown, and then we'll uh, drill down and talk about some specific projects. Sure. Well, Greenopolis uh, actually started as an idea um, that a group of people inside Waste Management had who worked with their uh, organic growth group, kind of the uh, internal uh, skunk works or, uh, or uh, incubator for, for new businesses and new ideas. And they thought it would be really worthwhile to reach out to um, consumers. Uh, WM does not have a big consumer-facing or has not in the past had a big consumer-facing presence. And they wanted to do something that was editorially independent of the, of the parent company, really reach out to everyday people, a site where they could connect to each other, uh, learn a little bit about how to make incremental changes in their own lives at school, at home, at work, and uh, move the needle, so to speak, uh, by getting millions of people just to do things a little bit differently. So that was the original idea be, uh, behind it. We've continued over the past three years to build that community. Um, in uh, places like Facebook, we have over 30,000 uh, Facebook fans through Twitter feeds uh, on our own site, and to combine our online learning with on-the-ground action. So, for example, we have a partnership with uh, with Pepsi-Cola um, to launch, it's actually in process, launch over 3,000 reverse vending machines to capture bottles and cans and get them back into production so that they become a new bottle, a new can, or some other product, and we can literally close the loop on, uh, on our material stream. And as people do this, as they bring their bottles and cans to the, these uh, reverse vending machines, 
they get points if they're a Grinopolis user, and they can redeem their points uh, on the site for rewards in their zip code. It might be a, a free pizza. It might be a bottle of uh, environmentally friendly cleaning solution. Uh, it could be any number of things. Um, so um, that has also expanded our, our audience, and now we're reaching out into schools as well, where um, kids at schools will be able to bring their recyclables to school, scan them, and the schools will get the reward. Um, so it may be athletic equipment, it might be cleaning supplies, that type of thing. But again, it's a way for us to capture a very clean waste stream and get it back into uh, uh, production so you don't have to go back to the oil well to get more uh, more petroleum or the gas well to get more natural gas to make new plastics, new materials. And, uh, and at the same time, when people come to the site to redeem the rewards, they read a blog, they see a video, they get a little bit educated, and they build their ability to do things differently the next time. That's great. And, and about how many um, readers or visitors do you have? Can you estimate? We're getting uh, over a million uh, visitors to our site. That's worldwide. We, uh, these numbers may not mean much to the listeners, but we're something like the 18,000th or 16,000th uh, largest site <laughs> worldwide, which out of well, millions you know, and millions of sites is quite is actually quite good. Well, um, I guess... The- the good news is there's so many more green sites out there now, so I guess you're competing with them, but in this one area, competition is a good thing. Well, and we, we refer back and forth to each other. We have, uh, have or are developing content sharing agreements with many other sites like Mother Nature Network and, and, uh, and so forth. And uh, so we want to share each other's good, uh, good stories and just get more viewers. Um, we don't feel it's really competition. We feel it's... Uh, Cooperation. We need to cooperate and uh, collaborate, and uh, you know, build a bigger pie for everybody, and really educate the people so that they can do the right thing. Um, Absolutely. Yep. You you sent me an email um, offering a CFL recycling kit, so that was one of the things that piqued my interest and reminded me to check in with you. What is a CFL recycling kit? Well, it's a uh, it's something that we offer sometimes through Grenopolis, um and and it's a. Uh, a box really is what it amounts to a postage paid box with a special envelope inside uh, that people can put their used compact fluorescent light bulbs, their CFLs, into and have them safely and effectively recycled. Um, one of our um, sister businesses inside WM is called Think Green from Home. They actually sell these little kits. Uh, online and people can order them and it just shows up at their door. They can fill it with their used CFLs and thankfully CFLs last a long time so the box may sit there for a year or two before you have enough bulbs to fill it. And then you can send it back in and you get a certificate that says you've safely recycled these materials and you know that they've gone off and, and been taken care of. So that's a, just another way to get people to, to think about doing the right thing rather than throwing it in the trash. Get it back into the manufacturing cycle. Hmm. That's great. And you also mentioned a new game, a Facebook game called Oceanopolis. That's right. Uh, if people go to the Greenopolis site, they can sign up to uh, play the beta uh, version of Oceanopolis, which uh, people have been playing right now. It's based on a notion that we had, and actually in part in, in, a, in a little exercise that, that I came up with about uh, 12 years ago and, uh, and, uh, and that uh, my wife and I have in our, our book, The Necessary Revolution, it's, it's called the thousand acre exercise. And if you lived on an island of only a thousand acres, how would you design your policies, your, your, your procedures, your, your, your rules of living? You know, how would you live day by day? 
to maximize environmental health and human prosperity on your island, assuming that all your materials had to come from your island and stay on your island. And, uh, of course, we all live on an island that we can't leave. It's called called Earth. And uh, so the exercise just helps put it more onto a human scale. Oceanopolis is somewhat based on that. In Oceanopolis, players get their very own island. And on the island, there's debris that washes up. There's bottles, there's cans, there's cardboard boxes, the kinds of things that are floating around out there in the in the Pacific Gyre or some of the other ocean gyres that are out there uh, in the world. And so on the island, they can pick these materials up and recycle them. We've given each island a Greenopolis uh, recycling kiosk. So they get points as they recycle, and they can redeem these points for virtual rewards on their island uh, so they can develop and green their island uh, uh, make it a very livable place. They also occasionally will find an injured animal, you know, a seagull with a, a, a six-pack uh, band around its neck, or a sea turtle that swallowed a, a plastic bag it mistook, it mistook for a jellyfish, or a dolphin that's been got a little oil on it, and they can help these animals recover, and they get points for this too. Now, like a lot of these virtual games, people can also buy virtual products on the site, but here's where it gets really exciting, because the as they purchase virtual products on the site, every dollar they spend to green their virtual island goes, a portion of that goes toward Ocean Aid, which is a, a not for profit that's out there helping clean the oceans and prevent ocean pollution to begin with. So people, by actually playing the game, a, pro, a portion of all the proceeds that we realize from people playing the game goes to help fix the real ocean. So it's one of the few places where your online gaming can actually have an offline impact. That's cool. And uh, if we can just uh, now kind of uh, go back to global, I don't know if you heard the last few minutes of the um, first segment, but I was speaking with someone from the Cradle to Cradle, William McDonough's Institute, uh, announcing yeah. a partnership at the Clinton Global Initiative. And uh, the uh, former president opened up that initiative by talking about the number one thing that he thinks can restore the American economy. You said that is clean, efficient energy, and uh, federal loan guarantees for building energy efficiency retrofits is one priority. He's proposing uh, two is renewable energy initiatives in economically depressed cities, and three is green jobs programs for poor Americans. Gee, maybe we should um, elect this guy president. <laughs> Clinton became greener when he left the White House. How's our black president doing? Is he green enough, in your opinion? Talking about uh, Barack Obama, of course. Ba- yes, Obama. That's yeah. nice. Well, he's done more for renewable energy than any president in uh, in recent memory in terms of actual dollars invested. I think it's if the figures, and you might know the figure better than I do. But as I recall, it's about eighty billion dollars invested in renewable energy. You're talking and, uh, about Obama's stimulus plan? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's more money that's been been uh, given to support the development of renewables than any other president prior. In fact, I think by a factor of, of 10. Um, also, in, in the stimulus, there's, you know, and in this more recent call for infrastructure, there's uh, a lot of money, serious money being invested in, in, in green rail. And, uh, which, gosh, we sure need in this country. Out here where I live in western Massachusetts, we have a little narrow two-lane highway, and the state keeps trying to uh, push us to widen it. And our town and the town next to us are, are the, uh, the flies in the ointment we're resisting and won't let it happen. We keep saying, why don't you extend the rail line out here? 
you know, there's another town, Greenfield, just beyond us, and another 90 minutes away, Albany. What if you had a nice little rail line from Albany to Boston and all the towns in between? The rail used to go there. Why not have it come back instead of expanding the highway and having more cars? So, so that's another thing that, that, uh, that Obama's done. Um, could he be doing more? Obviously, I think many of us who supported him wish he was doing more and, and could be doing more, and there's always more we can do. Um, but but he's done a lot in the year, year and a half he's been in office, uh, much more than I would say to, since uh, any president since Carter. Hmm. And uh, yet so much more needs to be done. And when he gave us that speech from the uh, Oval Office as the oil was uh, gushing in the Gulf um, this summer, it seemed like he... It was uh, starting to to announce something very exciting, and that was the need to make a, you know, transition and make that a national priority from the old uh, energy economy to a greener economy. Uh, and yet, he didn't quite give us the green print, the plan to do that with. And so many people felt kind of let down. And uh, then uh, Bill McKibben, as you probably are aware, uh, had this uh, road to the White House. Uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, right. they took this um, original solar panel that uh, our very green President uh, Carter had put on the White House uh, that Ronald Reagan, and I still can't believe he did this, took off uh, during the 80s, of course, and it, it's still operational, but it was symbolic, of course, this one solar panel that they brought down from uh, atop a church in Maine and, and offered to the Obama administration um, symbolically because they were offering an entire new solar array uh, at no cost. It would be offered by, I think it was, uh, Sungevity. And so far, the uh, answer has been no thank you. Why can't Obama just say yes to solar panels in the uh, age of global warming, 2010, uh, climate change, and, and clearly, you know, a perfect storm of events happening to make it, you know, abundantly clear why we need to make a change? I really wish he would. I mean, it may, it may, it may be that a 30-year-old solar panel is not what you want to put back <laughs> on the White House. You know, and perhaps, you know the, the technology has improved quite a bit, so uh, it, it's possible. Although they do last about 25 to 30 years, they say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you know, but I don't see why he wouldn't put a new. Yeah, he could put that on, you know, as a as a memorial <laughs> on the South Lawn and 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 put uh, put other panels, if not on the White House, at least out on the South Lawn. I mean, I, I can understand. Okay, there's a historic building. It's got a certain roof line. Maybe. Maybe there is an argument to be made not to change the roof line, but my solar panels. I have a three and a half uh, kilowatt solar array that powers uh, uh, about half of my house, more than all of it on a sunny day. But in New England, uh, I have to settle for half. Um, why not put it on the south lawn, which is, would be the solar exposure lawn of the uh, of the White House? And why not, you know, put a small wind turbine? I mean. These things have symbolic uh, meaning, and I think that, that that it's important, just just as important as digging up the uh, the White House lawn to put an organic garden was. Um, so Absolutely. maybe we should, maybe we should get Michelle to uh, uh, to do it, and uh, maybe we could even hire Joe the plumber to get up there and uh, put some solar hot water in. Yeah, I mean, it really would go a long way towards giving him the credibility that, you know, he certainly was elected with. You know, environmental community was you know, strongly in favor of this president. He really seemed to get it. And, of course, uh, we had the disappointment, not that it was his fault, but nothing much happening in Copenhagen, followed by the deep disappointment about the Senate dropping the ball on climate change legislation. So this seems like something he could do that really, what what kind of, you know, political cost could there possibly be? I mean, I suppose there's, you know, some Tea Partiers or right-wing nuts who would say there's something wrong with solar panels, but we'll um, let that sit where it belongs. Um, you know, what's the downside? It just seems like something he really ought to do. I, I agree, and, and and you know the Senate is pretty moribund. It's 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 practically fossilized in terms of the ability to get 
get uh, much done. This is this is one of the most serious issues facing us. But I guess what I, what I want to say is, I think that we need to stop waiting for the politicians to fix it for us, uh, because the politicians, like the media, all except your radio show, you know, <laughs> exist first and foremost for their own for their own benefit. You know, uh, they want to stay in office ostensibly to do good things, but they they want to stay in office. The media, the newspapers, write what they think is going to sell papers and, and keep them in business, and that's not bad. But we need to recognize that, and I think we need to more and more take action ourselves, individuals, local action, organizing individually. Uh, I mean, this is what got Obama elected, was the same kind of community organizing that he practiced in Chicago. That's right. And, uh, so, you know, why can't we use that same network uh, to do it ourselves? I actually have a post that's up today about uh, uh, acting, you know, thinking globally by acting locally and how to organize in our own, uh, our own communities. Uh, if everybody in North America recycled only one more plastic bottle a week. It would save enough energy to heat thousands of homes every year. Um, um, small individual actions do add up. You know, we may just be drops in the bucket, but all the drops fill the bucket. Uh, or as, Gan- as Gandhi said, whatever we do may be insignificant, but it's vitally important that we do it. So I think really. I mean, we should keep the pressure on our politicians. We should vote our issues and, uh, and, uh, and, and support the NGOs and the, the large organizations that are trying to take action. But then each of us in our own lives, in our own schools, we all have our circles of influence that we can impact, whether it's, it's our spouses, our partners, our, our kids, our neighbors, the teacher at school. And uh, look around. This is a question I'm always asking people. Look around and ask yourself, what can I do right now where I am What's the one thing I can do right now with what I've got, where I am? And there's always an answer. You remember Harry Houdini, the great escape artist of the 20th century? He did his escapes, these amazing escapes, by making small movements you know, within a set of handcuffs, within a bag, within a box, chained up at the bottom of the Detroit River. He knew how to figure out how to make small movements that would let him get out of handcuffs and straitjackets and things like that. Because each movement you make puts you in a slightly different position, and now you can make a different movement and then a different one. So we need to keep asking ourselves, what are the small movements that we can make? No matter how small it is, it's going to give us a different perspective. Um, And uh, I think that's the real solution. If we wait for the government to do it for us, how much better are we than than, uh, the Stalinist Soviet Union, depending on the government to do everything for us? You know, we need to... Uh, this is one place where American individualism can be a benefit, is <laughs> each of us taking individual action, but then going further and weaving it together into collaborative action. And if we do that, I guarantee it, the politicians will follow. Well, and, and speaking of, you know, sort of independent individual action, I mean, the Tea Party is getting so much publicity, uh, who knows where that's going, but... Don't you think we need a green tea party? I mean, uh, am I? I'm sure I'm not the only one <laughs> sitting here going, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, let's back get back to the, the climate and the planet." I mean, we're. It seems like we left that behind when we did not see congressional action on climate change, and that is so discouraging because guess what? There's no politics on a dead planet. <laughs> 
there's no jobs on a dying planet. So I, I feel like we really kind of need to have some mutiny on the bounty, you know, in the green realm and say, let, let, we, we didn't solve this. <laughs> Just because they don't want to deal with the political capital, you know, of um, maybe some unpopular moves during the election, and, and that's a whole other story. Why is it not popular to be proactive on our, you know, environment? Um, the problems are not going away, and we can't continue to ignore them, or we can, but at our own peril. I, I, I totally agree with you. you know, maybe we need a fair trade organic uh, coffee clutch uh, to uh, <laughs> to uh, to stand up and take action. And particularly those of us in countries like the United States, uh, I guess we're no longer the biggest producer of CO2. I think uh, China, China has passed us for that dubious distinction. Mm-hmm. But still, um, you know, we're we're a key player, and uh, and uh, we, we as a country we need to take action on that. Uh, so I think those of us who, who live here and have enjoyed the benefits uh, more than anywhere else in the world of the first industrial revolution, which produced and has been continuing to produce most of these greenhouse gases, um, we need to take action to to, to rein it in. Um, and and you know, because unfortunately, once again, it's going to be the poorest of the poor who suffer the most from this. Um, you know, and our children and grandchildren. And their children and grandchildren. You know, California, you know, wildfires are terrible. They're terrible in Australia. But the so-called developed world uh, has the resources to uh, to rebound from those things. People in Pakistan don't have the same kind of resources. Uh, what about this, this summer with the fires raging in Russia and the epic floods in Pakistan, not to mention the, you know, heat waves on the East Coast, and we had some very unusual cool weather here on the west coast and apparently it's all connected and it all is what scientists have predicted would would be the beginning of climate change uh what about that is not registering with people it's scary how closely what's happening fits the models but you know as they say denial is not just a river in egypt and uh um, what they say (laughs) and and people who have a strong mindset are not going to let the data uh, uh defer them from their mindset, particularly if there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, particularly if they're politicians who are getting heavy can- campaign contributions from coal companies and oil companies who have a vested interest in keeping um, uh, the fossil fuel uh, uh, train uh, going. Um, and, I, and I really don't know what it would take uh, in, in some cases. Uh, you know, uh, un- unfortunately, I, I, th- I think it may take you know, their own families being impacted before some of them wake up. I just read something recently. It said we go mad in herds, but we come to our senses only one by one and slowly. So we, like we that. Need, need to accelerate that uh, that uh, <clears throat> process. Well, yes, because, uh, you know, the, the further this goes into the future, the more backs are up against the wall, the fewer choices we have. So that's the problem with waiting until it's absolutely abundantly clear or 100% proven that climate change is here and humans are causing it. It's uh, then going to be a heck of a lot harder to get ourselves out of that straitjacket. We're going to need a Houdini on that's, a global scale. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, as one of the keys in our book is about systems thinking and the understanding of systems. And uh, the systems have their own reinforcing cycles, vicious or virtuous cycles. And the particular something like climate change, it's at some point in time it reaches a point where we don't have the ability to pull ourselves out of it anymore. Uh, uh, 
uh, that, that the natural reinforcing cycles like permafrost melting or Arctic Ocean absorbing more, uh, more sunlight because the, the ice is gone begin to uh, become so powerful. It's like a, like a, a maelstrom or a whirlpool. Suddenly you get sucked into uh, a natural reinforcing cycle. Fortunately, we've still got time, but only a decade or so. I think we need to, uh, uh, how can we inspire uh, I mean, the Tea Party, one thing I admire about the Tea Party is how inspired they are, how fired up they are, how committed passionate. they are. They're how passionate. can we get that same kind of commitment among people who, uh, who, who want to reverse uh, our, uh, our CO2 trend? <clears throat> um, I think it was Yates who said that the, uh, the, the worst are filled with uh, passionate intensity while the, uh, while the best lack all, uh, lack, lack all ambition. So uh, how, do we, how do we get the best fired up? In the way that the uh, that the uh, that the Tea Party is, and the way that many people were fired up, uh, uh, the progressives were fired up just two short years ago. Exactly. Well, you know, it is one, the one cause that you, should unite all of us that we do all have a stake in, or as I say, only those who eat, breathe, or drink need be concerned. Um, <laughs> And, and yet, you know, so the Green Tea Party, let, we should start it, Joe, and I think it should have a pretty wide following. You would think, you know, you would think. Well, maybe you and I can get it going, uh, uh, Betsy. I'd be happy to brainstorm with you uh, uh, off, uh, offline about it. And uh, who knows, I may go down on uh, October 30th to uh, John Stewart's, uh, 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 what, what is it called, March for Reason, uh, 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 down, down in Washington D.C., he wants a million moderate march. You know, people who actually think straight and, uh, and, and come together <laughs> think with for their solutions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, passion, uh, can, passion without you know thought can be dangerous. Yeah, yeah on both sides. On both yeah. sides, you know, yeah. um, because if my friends on the left wing start to get rabid and, and just see the other people on the other side as, as the devil uh, or as Hitler, that's not very useful. Uh, you know, we really need to, to begin to. The, the 70, 80 percent who are not crazy in this country, <laughs> regardless of where we are on the political spectrum, we need to talk to each other. And really because the rest of us are going to go crazy if we don't get some rationale and sanity in here exactly. soon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, my friend Joe Lauer. Thanks so much for joining me on kind of short notice. You always have some interesting green topics and talking to talk about in Greenopolis. I'm really happy about its success. Congratulations on that. And just uh, before we say goodbye, what's the name of that book you collaborated on? Uh, the Did Necessary Revolution. Yes, I, I highly recommend it. Highly uh, recommend it. Always a good day, any day I can talk to you, Betsy. Joe, again, happy Sukkot, Lishana Tova, and uh, see you uh, at the John Stewart rally. Okay, thanks maybe. very much. We'll, or, we'll launch the Green Tea Party. You heard it here first. Uh, you sure, you sure did. This uh, is it for the edition of uh, the Green Front. I'm your host, Betsy Rosenberg, inviting you to have another great Green Week and join us next Wednesday, same time, same place, same Internet station. Okay.